Hi, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach, and I'm so excited to share a new episode of our podcast with you. Today, you're going to hear from Damon West. Damon played college football at the University of North Texas. Just a powerful story of going from college quarterback to a successful career, then into addiction and crime and serving time in prison, and now after beating the odds of getting out on parole, a dynamic speaker and author, a man of strong faith, incredible passion and energy. I can't wait for you to hear from Damon's. So let's jump right into it. Well, thanks for joining me today, Damon. Hey, thanks for having me, Stuart. You bet. I'm going to start this off with some background information. So just kind of lay a foundation of who you are. Just talk a little bit about where you grew up, your family growing up. So I grew up in a town called Port Arthur, Texas. And Port Arthur, Texas is in the southeast part of the state. Uh, They call it Southeast Texas, the Golden Triangle. And I grew up down there. I had a wonderful family. My dad, Bob West, was a sports writer in Texas for 50 years. He was the sports editor of Port Arthur News, but he was also the first sports writer in that part of the state to put black athletes on the front page of the football section. And the first time it happened, he did it in 1971 with an athlete named Joe Washington. And Joe Washington, you'll remember, he went on to play for OU, went on to play for the Washington Redskins and the Colts. But that decision, my dad had a box of hate mail at home that he had my older brother, my younger brother and I read growing up to see what taking a stand was like and doing the right thing. That leaving sometimes is a lonely place. Uh, so we got to read that hate mail and that stuff that my dad and my mom got thrusted into the civil rights movement. My mother was a school teacher, then became a registered nurse. And I've got an older brother named Brandon, a younger brother named Grayson, nice knit little happy home. But we had our issues too. I mean, I grew up with a great family, but we had things that, that no family is, is impervious from bad things happening, right? So when I was nine, my, I came out and told my parents my babysitter had been molesting me. Childhood sexual abuse back in the 80s, man. They didn't do as much about it back then as they do now. But my parents did everything they could. They simply talked to a family counselor, family priest. We prayed about it. Uh, but, you know, something inside the little nine year old boy went to a place where prayer wasn't going to impact. And by the time I was 10, I started getting into drinking. I would drink my dad's beer in the fridge. I'd smoke cigarettes. By the time I was 12, I'm smoking pot. But the worst part about this is that I tell coaches and players all the time is I've got a bad belief system and bad belief systems dog us, man. The longer you hold on to a bad belief system, the harder it is to get rid of my bad belief system. For example, Stuart at at 10 and 12 years old was all I'm doing is drink a little beer, smoke a little pot. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not even hurting myself. And I couldn't have been more wrong. I had a lot of character issues, but man, I can throw a football really well, Stuart. And this is Texas, man. Texas high school football, you know how it is down here. And so I was a, a three-year starter for my 5A school, Port Arthur Jefferson High School. Uh, played quarterback there. Got a scholarship to play football at the University of North Texas. Went on to be the starting quarterback there by the time I was 20 years old. But when I was 20, I came up to this thing I like to call a fork in the road in life. And these fork in the roads are days in life, life that's going to knock you down. And I think everybody can relate to a fork in the road now with the coronavirus. I mean, life has knocked the entire world down, the entire world economy. Everybody is knocked down, but you got to get back up every day and you got a choice to make. And when I got to that fork in the road on September 21st, 1996, playing against Texas A&M in College Station, Texas, and this is, this is A&M, man. I mean, what, what little boy growing up in Texas doesn't want to play against these guys or play for those guys, you know, there I am and, you know, playing in Kyle Field, and by the third play of that game, I went down. I separated my shoulder on the Kyle Field that day. And I never played college football again. And when I got up to that fork road in life and football was gone, 
I had invested all my identity in being a football player and, and I didn't have a plan B or a plan C, but that bad belief system is something I had. It kicked back in and instead of drinking a little beer, smoking a little pot. Well, now I'm doing cocaine and ecstasy and pills and, and you name it. If it was a drug that could change the way I felt, I was doing it. And somehow I graduated college in 1999. I move off to Washington, D.C. I get a job working at the United States Congress. I worked for a guy running for president in 04. And when he dropped, dropped out of the race and there was no more fundraising to do for him, I, I moved back to the Dallas area and I got a job trained to be a stockbroker for one of the biggest Wall Street banks in the world. UBS, United Bank of Switzerland. And it was at that job as a broker, Stuart, that I was introduced to meth for the first time. And, and meth was a game changer, Stuart. So, and, and we'll get into more about your journey and addiction. But I want to ask you one question about, one more question about your family growing up. Was it a, um, talk about your family's, your parents, the, the faith part of it. So faith was big in my home. We grew up, we grew up Catholic. Um, my parents got married in 1968. My mom's Cajun. So, um, most of the Cajun people are Catholic. My dad is a Baptist guy that was from Missouri. He was a, he moved on down to Beaumont to go to Lamar university in the sixties to play golf there. And, uh, the deal was when they got married, uh, my mom said, Hey, look, you know, we're going to raise our kids Catholic and you're going to be at every, every mass, every, every sacrament, every event. And my dad was, my dad could be found and, you know, he was, he never became Catholic, but he was always there. He was at mass every Sunday. He was at every communion, you know, confirmation. He was there. He was present and involved, but my mom was really the linchpin, the glue that held the family together on faith. She was so filled with the, with the Holy spirit. I mean, she's, and she's still alive. My parents, when I say in past tense, I'm talking how I grew up. My parents, in June, they'll celebrate 52 years of marriage, Stuart. So I didn't come from a broken home at all. But my mom is one of those moms. Man, Stuart, she's got a prayer plaque or a cross in every room in the house. You can't escape God in my mom's house, man. And she, you know, we constantly prayed all the time in our home. That was a very big thing. Her faith in God, um, you know, it, it went down to us. I mean, we, we grew up with tremendous faith. I was an altar boy. I mean, I was an altar boy growing up. I was in the church every Sunday. But it's interesting you say that because once I left Port Arthur when I graduated high school when I was 18 and moved off to Denton six hours away, man, I stopped going to church. All those things that were ingrained in me, when I got on my own, I, the wheels kind of fell off. Man. I mean, I just went on my own path and God wasn't leading that path. And that's a, that's, that's a problem when we get to life and we stop letting God drive that car. We want to take the wheel all the time, you know, and that's when I got to that fork in the road was the last time God ever drove that car until, you know, July 30th, 2008, you know, when I got arrested by a SWAT team in Dallas. We'll talk about um, what led up to, to, to that arrest. Um, so you had a successful career, you know, like you said, in uh, fundraising and politics investments, but you also not only addicted to meth, but also got into um, I'll call it an addiction as well. Some, uh, criminal activity. So kind of walk through um, how that that took place and really just drove your whole life. So it's obvious you've read The Change Agent, and that makes the difference between a, a, a good podcast and a great podcast. And now we have a chance to talk about things that you read, and you asked a question that was specific to something that I wrote about in my book. And that was about the fact that, you know, not only was I addicted to meth, which I got introduced to in 2004, and when I got introduced to meth in 2004, that was a game changer. I tell students and, and athletes and coaches all over the place, 
this stuff is so powerful and evil and addictive. You know, I smoked that drug one time and was instantly hooked. And when I gave everything away for that drug, my job, my home, my car, my savings account, I went from working on Wall Street to living on the streets of Dallas. And when I became a meth addict, a homeless meth addict, I started resorting to crime to, 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 to take care of my addiction. And, you know, excuse me, at first it was started out with, with property crimes like burglaries and burglary of a building. I'm breaking the storage units. I'm breaking into cars. Um, but then it became uh, the home burglary game. And that's, that's, uh, that's a whole different level of crime right there. Because when you go into someone's home, not you, me, we're talking about accountability. When I, when I broke into these people's homes, uh, my victims, I didn't just steal their, their property, man. I stole mm-hmm. these people's sense of security, Stuart. I don't know if they ever get that back. And, and they have to live with that for the rest of their lives. And so what I found out, though, is that when you're in this CD world of these drugs and, you know, you, there's a lifestyle that you get, you get pulled into. And in the lifestyle of the meth world, I talk about it in my book, The Change Agent, a lot. You know, there's a, there's a saying that I heard one time says theft and meth go together like rats and trash. I mean, that's mm. nasty. You can take that to the bank. And there's so much so much criminal activity that goes around in the meth world. We're talking about, you know, people that have no opportunities to go work. We're unemployable, but we have this, this addiction. And I, I tell people all the time too, that addicts, addicts aren't bad people. They're sick people that do really bad things in pursuit of their, their addiction, right? And, and addiction is a disease. And today mm-hmm. I have a program of recovery. So I have a way of dealing with my disease and it's like taking your medicine every day. But when you're in your disease of addiction, you don't have a program recovery. You'll do just about anything to get high. Addicts give up their goals to meet their behaviors. While normal people like you, Stuart, that's not an addict, you'll give up your behaviors to meet your goals. If your behaviors start taking you away from where you're supposed to be going in life, you'll, you'll pump the brakes. You'll be like, hey, wait a second, man. This is, I got to stop this. In my addiction, I started breaking into people's houses and storage units. And, and then I started finding myself getting addicted to the entire burglary process. You know, you start looking forward to going in and doing more burglaries. You start planning it out, you know, you, and you know, it starts off with getting high and then you're, you're driving around, you're casing places that you're going to hit. And, and, and I'm really meticulous about going through all the details to make sure that no one's ever home. I don't want to run into anybody and that you know, that was a thread that went through all these burglaries. No one was ever home during any of these burglaries, which, which ended up being good on so many levels. You know, I didn't want to run into anybody. I knew what I was doing was wrong, mm-hmm. but you got, I got a high from doing the burglaries too. The, the burglaries themselves give you the adrenaline rush, that euphoric rush that you get from a drug. And you get into the whole planning, the whole uh, scoping the place out and eventually doing the burglary. You know, no one's home. You go in there, you're going through people's things and you get addicted to the burglaries, too. So you have addiction to meth and your addiction to the criminal world that you're in. And it just sucks you in so completely, Stuart. And it's something that, man, I talked to other guys in prison about this because when I got sober and I was in prison and I was doing this life and being this coffee bean. These guys would come in fresh off the street with these new life sentences. And I'd ask them these questions about that. And every single guy that was in property crimes got addicted to it somehow if they had an addiction to to a drug, too. Every one of them. Wow. And we could talk hours on that. So I'm just going to just stop and say um, to people listening, just get a copy of The Change Agent um, and dig into it because it is very impactful and give you a glimpse of the journey. Um, So you talked about the arrest. Um, so 
you you get sentenced to to sixty five years, but you get out on parole. So talk about the whole process of the arrest, of uh, the sentencing, and specifically um, how your your relationship with your parents through that through that process. Yeah, no, again, very good question, straight from the book. So, uh, you know, the book starts out. The first chapter is called Rock Bottom. And for addicts, we have to come to a point called rock bottom. That's where we get to a point where we become sick and tired of being sick and tired. And we're ready for a change. And no one in the world can change an addict. The only person that can change an addict is the addict themselves. I get people that reach out to me all the time, Stuart. And they're like, you know, will you talk to my son, my daughter, my grandson, whatever, that has an addiction. And, you know, we, we just don't know what to do anymore. We've done everything we could. And I tell them the same thing. I'll talk to them, but I can't guarantee you anything's going to happen. There's no silver bullet talk to an addict. But I may really be here to talk to you because now you've become an addict too. You're addicted to changing that person that you can't change. And you'll, you'll dump your life savings into trying to fix that person. And that's your addiction now. Addiction is just a circular firing squad, Stuart. And, and affects everybody in this country, right? So I'm standing there. On May 18, 2009, right where the change agent begins, and I'm standing in front of a jury in Dallas County. This jury in Dallas County has just listened to six days of trial, six days of overwhelming evidence of my guilt in the crime of engaging in organized criminal activity to commit burglary of habitation. And man, this jury is pissed off at me, man. They're looking at a guy across that courtroom whose family's on the first row, that this guy had every opportunity in life to do anything he wanted to do. But they're looking at this guy with just contempt, and they should, because here I was in this courtroom, and all my sins had been laid bare, all the way back to my arrest date, you know, on July 30th, 2008, when I was sitting in that little rundown apartment in Dallas, I'm sitting there smoking meth with this meth dealer named Tex, and I'm passing the pipe back and forth to Tex on that day I got arrested, and I'm telling Tex, I think the end is near. I think the cops are going to come get me pretty soon. And 10 days before this, this guy I've been doing all these burglaries with, this guy named Dustin, had been picked up by the Dallas Police Department. So I know they're going to get me. And just as I passed the pipe at the text, I heard that window shatter and tumbling across my living room floor. It's just a little canister going end over end. And the flashbang grenade went off right in my face. And, and when I came to, when I can see and hear again, this cop has got his boot on my chest and the barrel of a machine gun is digging in my eye socket and he's screaming at me, don't move, don't move. And one of the other cops is screaming out, we got it. We got the uptown burglar. And so now there I am 10 months later in that trial sitting there, the uptown burglar, this is this shell of a man that is in there in front of them. And like I said, this jury is angry with me. It's a Monday. It's about one o'clock. And I go out of the courtroom while the jury goes to deliberate. They bring me this little bologna sandwich they give you in the holding cell while you're waiting for the trial. And I remember they brought me the sandwich and they came back and got me. I thought they were bringing me more food. It happened so fast. And the bailiff came back. He said, hey, they're ready. They got the decision. Ten minutes, Stuart. I mean, we're not even I mean, I don't know how much law and order you watch. But if a jury's gone for ten minutes, they smoked you. Yeah. And then when I walked into that courtroom, that judge who hadn't smiled the entire trial was grinning from ear to ear. And he said, Damon Joseph West, you are hereby sentenced to 65 years in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. And 65 years is a life sentence in the state of Texas. Anything 60 and above is considered life. They gave me life. I got the maximum. 
First felony conviction ever, man. White, middle-class guy in Texas, middle-class guy in America, you know, college educated, all these opportunities in life. This is not where you see a guy like me end up going, right? You don't see this happen. You see it happen to a lot of other groups, blacks and Hispanics and, and poor people, but you don't see a guy like me get it. And that jury, they gave it to me at both barrels, man. And right after the trial was over, they took me in this little room. It's a got a bulletproof glass right there. And they let my parents have five minutes with me afterwards. And my mom, my dad walks in first. He's in stunned disbelief. You know, he's stoic. He just saw his son with all this promise in life, get a life sentence in prison. So my mom, my mom does all the talk. My mom's a nurse, man. She's used to compartmentalizing pain. And so she says, baby, she said, debts in life demand to be paid. She said, you just got hit with one hell of a bill from the state of Texas. She said, but, but you did the things they said you did at that trial, Damon. So you have to go and pay that debt to society. She said, but you owe your father and I debt too. She said, Damon, we gave you all the opportunity to love and support to be anything. You want to be in this life, and, and this is how you repay it. She said, it's not going to work. She says, we raised you in Port Arthur, Texas, a giant melting pot of a city. Gave you a great moral compass, which you chose to not use. So here's the debt you're going to pay to us. When you go to prison, you will not get one of these white hate groups, one of these Aryan Brotherhood-type gangs, because you're scared because you're the minority in there. She said, that will not work. You were never raised to see race, and you will not start now. And she said, you will not get any tattoos while you're in that prison. And I mean, Stuart, I mean, I show people all the time. I was in there for seven years and three months in the maximum security penitentiary in Beaumont, Texas, called the Mark Styles Unit, one of the toughest prisons in America to do time. And those guys want to tattoo every inch of your body inside that prison. And then every time they hit me up, I tell them, man, I can't do it. And my mom said no. And so, I mean, it was kind of like a running joke in the prison. So my mom tells me that day on May 18th, 2009, you come back as the man we raised or do not come back at all. And this is tough love coming from any mother, man. I mean, you know, mothers hear this and they're like, man, I don't know how your mom did that, but what else was she going to do? You know, she can't go to prison with me and sit on top of me. And, and I've had a, a 33 years of making my own choices in life. And obviously my choices and my decisions, you know, haven't worked out. And this is where we get to when we push God out of the car and drive the car ourselves. Now I took control of that car, you know, back in, you know, September 21st, 96, when I got hurt in college and I kicked God out of the car, that was the last time God drove that car. And now here we are, May 18th, 2009, 13 years later, and I've driven the car right off of a cliff. And so my mom is telling me, you get on God's back, no games, no tattoos, come back as the man we raised or don't come back at all. And so I make this agreement with my parents. I agree to this, this debt that I'm going to pay, but I have no clue what I just promised, man. Because what do I know about prison, right? So I get back to the pod in Dallas County Jail, and I'm asking all these guys that have been in prison before, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, they're all telling me the same thing. You're 33 years old, dude. You just got hit with a life sentence. You're going to the worst part of the Texas prison system where everybody in the building you live on has life, man. Make your life easy, Wes. Get into a game, man. Let the game fight for you. But there was this one guy, this older African-American man named Mr. Jackson. And Mr. Jackson, he's what you would call a seasoned convict, a career criminal. He had been to prison four or five times. You know, he's probably in his 60s. I don't even know his, his age, but he was a real positive guy. I always had a smile on his face, Mr. Jackson. So, you know, Mr. Jackson came up to me. We talked all the time. He came up to me one morning. And he said, Wes, I've been watching how you're dealing with these knuckleheads, these dummies. Talk about you got to get into a gang. He said, do not listen to these fools. But let me tell you what prison is going to be like. He said, the first thing you need to know about prison is that prison is all about race. He said, race runs the entire institution. He said, so because it's about race, he said, when you get to that prison, 
you're going to have to fight all the white gangs first if you want to be independent. And then after that, you'll fight all the black gangs, you know. And if you survive all that, you will earn the right to walk alone. And he said the strongest man in prison always walks alone. And he told me something about prison fight. And this is a lesson that is a lesson in life, not just in prison. He said, you don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight all your fights. Mm. You know, and, and there's probably been never a time in human history when we need to have that repeated to us as much as possible. Because right now, man, everybody, humankind is losing their battles in life right now. But get up every day and keep going. You have to keep going. You can't, you can't lay down and just take it and, and, and get defeated because that's not even an option. And so he saw that I was still struggling when he told me about, you know, not having to win all my fights. And he said, he said, let me break it down like this. He said, I want you to imagine prison as a pot of warm water. He said, anything we put in that pot of warm water is going to be changed by the heat and the pressure inside that pot. He said, I'll put three things in that pot of warm water and watch how they change. A carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. And so he walks and walks me through it. He said, you know, West, if I put a carrot in that pot of warm water that we call prison, he said, what happens to the carrot? And I said, well, it turns soft. Mr. Jackson, he said, that's right. He said, the carrot goes into prison hard, but the water prison changes that carrot, man. He, he said, the carrot got beat. He got robbed. He got raped. He may have gotten killed. He said, you don't want to be the carrot. He said, what about the egg? And I said, well, the egg turns hard, Mr. Jackson, like a, like a hard boiled egg. He said, that's right. He said, the egg has a shell that protects him physically. He said, physically, he'll be fine. But inside he won't because that soft liquid core, his heart mm. becomes harder. He said, if your heart becomes hard and you're incapable of giving or receiving love, he said, if you're incapable of giving or receiving love, you have become institutionalized and you will not come back as someone your parents recognize because your eggshell has swastikas tattooed all over. And he said, what about that coffee bean? And damn, Stuart, I had no clue what happened to a coffee bean of boiling water. So Mr. Jackson kind of laughed and he said, West, if I put a coffee bean in that pot of boiling water that we call prison, he said, now you're going to change the name of the water to coffee. Because he said that coffee bean, the smallest of these three things, small like you, had the power to change the entire atmosphere inside that pot. He said, everybody in life puts out energy, negative or positive. He said, whatever kind of energy you put out, you attract back. It's called the law of attraction. He said, so if you want to walk around prison with a meme mug on your face and a scowl because you want to look hard, he said, what you'll actually do is attract that same kind of hard inmate. He said, it could be a very dangerous, even deadly endeavor in there. He said, but Wes, if you walk around that prison with a smile on your face and you let those guys know they're not getting, no matter what they do, they're not getting to you. He said, you will change that prison from the inside out. And he said, the best part about it is the other coffee beans in prison, the other positive inmates, they will find you because of your energy. And the last thing Mr. Jackson told me before I got in that prison bus in August of 2009 to be shipped off to prison was go out there and go be a coffee bean. And that's what I tell people all the time now, Stuart. Go be a coffee bean. Be a coffee bean because we're in a giant pot of boiling water right now. The world is in a giant pot of boiling water. <clears throat> but we have choices. You have a choice every day of how you're going to handle that pot of boiling water. I mean, and, and I got to tell you that there's no shame in saying that you've been the carrot. I've been the carrot before. Or that you've been the egg. I've been the egg before, too. But no one wants to be around that sad, defeated, hopeless person or that mad, angry, just pissed off person at the world. No one wants to be the carrot, be around the carrot or the egg. And when you're the carrot and the egg, you have the, the power to infect other people around you with that negativity. But it's that coffee bean, that mentality that says, you know what, you know, when I get thrown in this pot of boiling water, you know, 
I can handle that. That's what I was made for. And, and, and every day we have a choice to turn that pot of warm water into a pot of coffee. And that's what the world's going to have to do right now is find ways to find positivity. There are opportunities inside of every struggle. Stuart, we talked about, you know, books that I've read and stuff like that before the podcast started. I mean, I, I read books, a book, a book every other day when I was in prison. And the best books you read are the ones that talk about overcoming something and, and, and the morals and principles along the way that you get to that. Look, man, we're Americans. We are, we're, we're into that whole underdog story because it's in our DNA. We got our, we got our independence from the greatest military in the world. We, we didn't beat the British once. We beat them twice. We had no business beating these guys, but we were the underdog. We overcame and we, we were resilient and it's in our DNA. We love, and we love the, 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 the movie about a guy that gets his butt kicked for 12 rounds and gets up in the 12th round and throws that last punch and knocks the other guy out. Man, we love the Rocky type story. Now this is a Rocky type moment, man. This is what it's all about. This is when all, you know, when all the cards, all the chips are pushed to the middle of the table, the cards are laid out. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? Man? And that's up to you. Well, that's good. That's good stuff. I love that story never gets old. Um, and and what, st- what st- stands out to me before the whole coffee bean story was just the, the strength of your mom. I mean, that, that part has really, since I read about that, has really encouraged me as a parent to think about, you know, how am I going to, how do I deal with my kids? Yeah. Um, not even with little decisions. You know, because kids screw up. So am I going to have the strength to to speak love into them or uh, just be hard and um, which pushes them farther away? And so I, I think about that a lot. And then the whole coffee bean story, it just it, it never gets old because you're right. We've all been carrots. We've all been eggs. But now more than ever, um, it's time for coffee. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. And, 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 you know, what you talked about, the parenting thing. Look, I mean, I'm, I'm a parent for the first time. You know, I got married last May uh, and my wife, Kendall, has a daughter. And so, you know, her daughter's eight years old, my stepdaughter. And, and I'm learning a lot about life being a, being a parent for the first time. Um, and, and, yeah, you're right. I mean, my parents, you know, the strength that they had to, uh, to deal with that, my mom especially, because I mean, what's she going to do? I mean, first of all, they know the period when I'm out there on drugs in, in Dallas, they know something's wrong with me, but what are they going to do? Kidnap me? I mean, at some point you're going to have to hope that you've done everything you could as a parent. And they did, they did everything they could. They were great parents. They did everything they could as a parent, but you got to just hope you've done the best you could. And you got to let your kid go do their thing. And, um, and they're going to make some mistakes along the road. And that's, you know, that's the whole thing about not winning all your fights, but fighting all your fights is that if we can instill that in them, that we don't ever quit. And that's, if there's anything I can instill to my stepdaughter when we're playing games, board games, sports or anything. And, you know, if she gets frustrated is, is don't quit. Don't ever, don't ever quit. Keep playing, keep trying. And because those are the things we need to instill in them because then it's this lesson in life right now that if we were all raised to sit there and say, you know what, I'm going to lose some days, but I'm getting up and fighting every day. I'm getting up and going after, it, you know, then, then we get to a situation like the coronavirus. Then everybody says, Hey, you know what? That's cool. You know, today I lost tomorrow. I'm going to get up and fight again. And I, I may lose again tomorrow. Stuart, when I got into prison, man, from the Dallas County jail to the Texas department of criminal justice, I probably got in three dozen fights and I physically lost 
75% of those fights. I went out and fought in those day rooms knowing I was about to get my butt kicked, but I got up and fought. I had to. Jackson said, you can't turn down a fight in there. And I found out that in the end, I won every one of those fights because I showed up. Sometimes that's the win we need in life is just knowing that we showed up and fought the fight. And at the end of each day, we can look ourselves in the mirror and say, you know what? I showed up today. I didn't win, but I won because I showed up. And that's, those are the little victories, those little nuggets that we get to take with us. There's a, there's a story that I tell people all the time, Stuart, and, it, and it's, it's a story that I tell corporations a lot when I go speak to them. And, and it's, it's called the only question you know the answer to is the one you do not ask, because that answer is a no. If you don't ask the question, it's a no every single time. This story doesn't appear in the change engine. In fact, I'm writing another book right now called Be a Coffee Bean. And it's about all these different principles I live my life by. And the change agent was originally a hundred and something more pages, but to, to knock it down and make it, you know, something you could plow through and keep the story flowing, they cut out whole chapters. So this story is called the only question, you know, the answer to is the one you do not ask. That's a no. It's a principle. It was January of 2017. I had just, uh, I'd been out of prison 14 months and I want to get into the college football world speaking on the college football circuit. But I'm not having any luck speaking to college football teams. No one knows who I am. And I can't get through to these college football coaches because I don't know any of them. So a buddy of mine in Houston, he works for KHOU, the big CBS station out there. He calls me up and he says, hey, I've got a, an extra press pass to the Bear Bryant Coaching Awards. And the Bear Bryant Coach of the Year Award is given out in Houston every year to the best college football coach in America. Mm-hmm. And he's telling me, the eight best coaches in the country are going to be in this room tonight. Do you want this press pass? And I was like, Heck yes, I want that press pass. <laughs> so after work, I went home. I worked at a law firm, and after work, I went home and and I put on my best hand-me-down. I got two suits at this point. They're both hand-me-down suits people had given me out of prison. I put the better of the two on, and I drive 90 miles to Houston from Beaumont after work. And I get to the Toyota Center and I hit the ground running, man. And I'm talking about all the big it's doing all the big boys are there. You know, you're talking about Penn State, USC, you know, Wisconsin, all these guys. PJ Fleck is there from Minnesota. And so I'm talking to all these guys and and I get to meet all these coaches. And every one of these coaches, when I'm giving them my pitch, is slamming the door in my face. One, one after another. No, no. Or even some are more polite. Hey, yeah, yeah, we'll give you a call. Don't call us. We'll call you. You know, yeah. and you know, you can feel it's a no. Stuart, I'm seven of the eight coaches down. I'm in the corner of the Toyota Center, and I'm licking my wounds, man. And I'm telling myself, I mean, there's that voice in my head, Damon, just go home, man. Damn, that last coach is going to tell you no. You know he's going to tell you no. Man, just go home. Let's get out of here. It's been a rough night. We lost. Then that fighter came in, man, that fighter. And I'm talking to my – I'm having this conversation out loud in the, in the corner, and I'm like, dude, you're not going anywhere. What kind of motivational speaker would you be if you quit before the game was over? Who wants to listen to that guy, right? And, and I'm telling myself, Damien, you survived prison. And if you get the change agent – I mean, if you, I mean, you read the change agent, you get it. You know what I survived because you read about it. You survived prison, Damon. You survived way more than this. This guy's going to tell you no, and then you can go home. So, Stuart, I watched and, and, and I stalked and I waited for my opportunity to jump on Dabo Swingy, man. And Dabo never saw me coming, man. I've got him pinned up against the wall. <laughs> and to this day, to this day, Dabo will tell you, I gave 10 minutes of conversation in one minute, man. He said it was like getting a drink of water from a fire hydrant. <laughs> you know, he was just. And so at the end of that minute, Dabo was like, hey, 
you got a card on you? I'm like, so I hand him my card and he's like, great, we'll be in touch. And he takes off and I'm like, man, another no. But I felt good, Stuart, because I left it all on the field. One of those times where you lose, but you win it, man. I left it all on the field. And that's what we always talk about these players, leave it on the field. <laughs> so I'll forget about that night. I drive home. Four months later, I'm at work. I get an email. It's the director of football operations at Clemson University. And the email says, hey, Damon, Coach, Coach Sweeney said he met you at an award show in Houston, and he'd love to have you talk to the team. How is August 1st? Do you have August 1st open? What? Man, I've got every first open dude i don't have anything going on in my life man so i go speak to the clemson tigers the defending national champs on august 1st 2017 and after my presentation Dabo comes up and he was like damon that's the most amazing story i've ever heard he said i've never seen my guys respond to a speaker like that he said the stories in your he said damon have you been to alabama yet and i'm like no Dabo. i I don't even know how i could get to alabama at this point i don't know anybody alabama he said, well, we'll see about that. I just text Nick Saban from the back of the room to let him know what I was, you know, what, let him know what I saw. And when I landed in Houston the next morning, Stuart, I had a voicemail and a text message from the director of football operations of Alabama says, we'll see you in Tuscaloosa in three weeks. You are on. Just like that, Dabo kicked open the door of college football for me. One more year later, August of 2018, I'm at work again, and I get a phone call. And this time, on the other end of the phone, is a guy named John Gordon. And, man, I know who John Gordon is because I follow John Gordon. Man, John Gordon's the energy bus guy. You know, he, he oh, sold yeah. 4 million books. Companies pay this guy a ton of money to come speak to their company because he's so good at what he does. And he's on my phone, you know. So I asked him, hey, John, how, how do you know who I am, man? And he said, Dabo Swing. He said, Dabo can't, can't quit talking about you and that coffee bean story. He said, Damon, let's write a book. We'll call it the, inter- and we call it, we'll call it the coffee bean. He said, this book, this message needs to be told all over the world. He said, write this book with me. And at first I told John, go write it yourself. And you're John Gordon. He said, no. He said, the way we do this is we do it together. We don't do it at all. And so we did the book, The Coffee Bean. It became a bestseller. And, and honestly, my life has been launched to a different level because of Dabo Sweeney and John Gordon. But the moral to the story is, if I'd have left January 2017 at the Bear Bryant Coaching Awards before I talked to Dabo Sweeney, that one no that I was guaranteed, I was convinced. I knew I was getting a no from Dabo Sweeney even before I talked to him. If I'd have given up and left that night, then you would never have known who Damon West was, and you would never probably have heard the story of the coffee bean. So all you need is that one yes in life. I tell people all the time, don't quit. Don't leave before you have your Dabo Sweeney moment too, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's I love that story because um, so many times, whether it's, you know, fear of rejection, but so many times we're scared to take that next step. Yes. You know, it's like, yes. we can, and, and, and yeah, it's it's unbelievable. And all, you, all they can do is tell you no, you know, and in the end, it's a no. It doesn't hurt you. It's not physically going to hurt you. Might, you know, you might feel whipped by it, but it, you, your life goes on, you know, but you got to ask it's just like, yeah, everything. The, the first step is always the hardest. It's like you know, I remember my, my three kids watching them learn to walk. That first step is the hardest. And there's so much in life that we can take from that. So let me, you know, I mentioned to you before we recorded that a lot of people that um, listen are, are high school coaches in particular all across the country. So what would you say to them um, to encourage them in their role but you know because they're in a lot of times you know putting in a lot of a demanding field that sometimes can be thankless you know because it's all wins and losses so how how would you encourage a high school coach 
got some really good, good stuff for you on this one, because I want to tell y'all, it was a coach that reached out to me when I was in prison. My favorite teacher growing up was a history teacher I had. He was also a coach. His name was Coach Jellin, Coach Charlie Jellin. And in September 2011, I'm, I'm sitting in my prison bunk, and the, they do mail call, and I get a letter from Coach Jellin. Coach Jellin writes me, and he, you know, he's like, hey, you know, Damon, you know, it's great, you know, great to finally talk to you. You know, you've had a tremendous life. You've been to the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. And I think that when you get out of prison one day, you should consider sharing your story with young people because you can bring them hope and a different perspective. And that was the first seed that was planted in my mind about getting out and sharing my story, sharing the coffee bean and going out and trying to bring hope and, and being a warning to some, but a message of hope to others. And it was because of a coach, because coaches have that ability to impact lives at a different level than anybody else on the planet, man. Billy Graham said it, said it best. He said, a, a coach will impact more lives in one year than the average person does in a lifetime. And that's the power you have as coaches. So here's what I would tell you, especially right now with what's going on. This is the time to be that coach and be that impact because there's going to be, we don't have anybody in front of us right now and things are scattered and, and, and it's, it's chaotic to the point that we need to be in touch with our players. And I would suggest having zoom meetings or FaceTime calls. Yeah. Have your position the position coaches should, should talk to their, their position players every day, every day and make it the same time and get to a routine because routines are so important. The first rule about doing time in prison, Stuart, is that you have to do your time and not let your time do you. Mm. So we need to fill this time up that these players have right now in their homes, fill this time up with a regimen, a routine. And, and I, I tell coaches all the time, you know, get these players up at the same time. Tell them to get up at the same time each day they were getting up before all this stuff started because we are not on vacation. Now we are going to work on ourselves every day, spiritually, mentally, and physically. We are going to get in the best shape of our lives. And, and so – you know, you want them in, in, in regular meetings on Zoom or on FaceTime with their position coach. And you're the head coach. You want to meet with your coaches all the time. And every time you have meetings, here's what you have to do. You have to have positive body language. You got to smile because that smile, man, people are reading your body language for cues, especially the youngsters are reading the coach's body language for cues. Let them know by your smile, this is going to be okay. And this too will pass. And this is going to be a battle, man. We're going to go to war every day. And some days we're going to win. Some days we're going to lose, but we're going to get up every day and keep fighting. And that positive body language, man, what's going to happen is you're going to have a lot of guys smiling back at you, right? And, and the negative people, the holdovers, they're going to get with the program, become positive too. Now you're going to have some negative people that do not get with the program. And, and these people are going to be the ones that quit. They leave. They, they quit the team. They quit their job. They don't hang around the water cooler anymore because no one will gossip with them. But you want to create this air, this bubble of positivity, man, because positivity is going to be the thing that pulls us through this, this coffee bean message. You know, and, and there's another thing. I just got with my publisher yesterday. My publisher, you know, I've pressed them and pressed them to make a, an electronic version of the coffee bean available for people to get. And so they've come up with this electronic version. It's like $8.50 per person. But I always encourage, you know, a, a team that reads together grows together. You know? mm. And if you want to pick the coffee bean as a book, the coffee bean is a great lesson for right now. Every team, every person can use the, the story, the allegory of the coffee bean at this moment. So if that's something you want to do, then, then get in touch with me. You know, my email is Damon 
at damonwest.org. Get in touch with me. I'll get you the link to the publisher, and they can get you set up with electronic copies that every one of the guys on your team, all your coaches, can get an electronic copy instantaneously and have a team read and talk about that team read. But you've got to continue doing stuff together as a team. You've got to get these guys on a regimen that they're doing every day. And the main thing that you need to pump to these players, these individuals, is service work, servant leadership. Servant leadership is helping other people achieve their goals in life, helping to raise other people up to a different station of life. Because when we are helping other people, that's when we are at our best, and that's when we become coffee beans. And so what does that mean? That means that these, these players, you know, while they're at home, they can do service work. They can call other people, man, FaceTime other people, other friends, and, and have positive messages. Use your social media platforms for positive. Encourage these players to post positive stuff out there. We need more of that. We need as much of that as we can get. But above and beyond, you have to stay in touch with these guys and stay on top of them and keep their regimen the same. I talked to Dabo last week. Somebody asked me, a lot of people asked me if Dabo would do their podcast. So I asked Dabo last week about it. He said, Damon, listen. He said, I would love to do these guys' podcasts. I'm always, you know, he, he's real big on high school coaches. He'll bring, if you ever go visit Clemson, he'll bring in his office and hang out with him. He loves high school coaches. He said, but right now, man, when I'm so busy working with my team, he said, we are working harder than ever right now. And that's the way you have to be, man. Keep preparing because we're going back to normal at some point. And what did you do during this time, man? Did you grow during this time? Or did you sit there and become stagnant? Because growth is going to take place outside of our comfort zone, Stuart. And this is an uncomfortable place to be right now, for sure. Absolutely. That's good. That's good stuff. And I'll, uh, in the conclusion and in the show notes that I, when I post this, I'll put your email address again. Cause that's, oh, cool. I think that's important. Um, so you talked about growing through, I'm going to close it out here, but you talked about growing through, we grow through difficult situations. So obviously your time in prison was a time of, um, spiritual growth and renewal as well. So I was going to ask you to close it out with, you know, a major lesson that God taught you through prison and maybe a, a scripture that helped get you through that time. Scripture that we'll go backwards. A scripture that got me through that time that leads me in life today is my favorite scripture in the entire Bible. It's Matthew 25, 36. And that says, when I was in prison, you visited me. There were so many people that came in that ministered to us while we were in prison. That's where I learned about servant leadership. These men that would would give up their lives for four days, four days retreats in prison. And they'd, they'd give up their jobs, their homes, their cars, their families, their careers for four days to spend time with us, the cursed, the wicked, the sinners, the incarcerated. No one wanted to be around us, Stuart, only our families in some cases. But these guys did. They showed us love. They brought the Holy Spirit into, into prison, and uh, they broke through some of the, the hard exteriors of some of these men, some of these, these hardened hearts, you know, the ones that were eggs in prison. They broke through that. And they were the ultimate coffee beans. So Matthew 25, 36 is something I've adopted. I go to prisons everywhere I can. And it's interesting, you know, you asked me about what's one of the lessons I learned. One of the main lessons is, is this, man, from living inside of a maximum security prison to traveling all over the country. Everywhere I go speak, I try to go, you know, when I go speak in places, if I have time, I try to dip into a prison, whatever state I'm in. And now today, Stuart, I'm a criminal justice professor at the University of Houston downtown. Went back and got my master's after prison was over and became a criminal justice. I teach a class, Stuart, called Prisons in America. Wow. Prison, prisons in America. I know a little bit about prison. So what I'm about to tell you <laughs> that I learned, I learned inside of a prison. I learned from teaching about prison. I learned from going back into prisons because I want to go back in and minister to those men and women in prison, too, and bring them hope. 
I want to be a smuggler of hope. People are always talking about smuggling things into prison, dope, cell phones. You don't need dope. You don't need a phone. You need hope. So I go in to smuggle hope. And the thing that I've learned from all my travels into prison is I figured out the hardest prison in the world to do time in, man. And I've been there. And I tell you the hardest prison in the world to do time. This is a warning. The hardest prison in the world to do time is the prison in your mind. Mm. I meet more people. I meet more people out here in the free world that are locked up than I ever did when I was in prison. More people, wow. Stuart, are in prison by their thoughts and by their things than by steel bars and barbed wire and concrete. You can take that to the bank. I met more people when I was serving time that are free than I ever did when I was out here, man. So many people have, have put the value in their life and the things that that can be taken away from you. You know, you're, we're finding out right now during an economic downturn like this, it's so severe that our homes, our jobs, our cars, none of that stuff is safe. If you put your value into that stuff, if you've invested your fortune, if you've invested your spiritual and emotional fortune into things that cannot spiritually and emotionally enrich your lives, then you are going to be lost. And you're going to be lost to the point that you get to this place called the existential vacuum. And I learned this term from a guy named Viktor Frankl. And I read his book in prison called Man's Search for Meaning. And the existential vacuum is where our existence is wrapped in. All of our meaning gets wrapped up in this, this void, this hole that gets sucked away from us now. And we have to fill that with the right things or it just gets sucked into it still. I fill my life. The things that are the most important in my life today are things that no one can take away from me. No, no prison sentence can take them away. No economic depression can take them away. Nothing can take away my faith, my relationships that I build in my life along the way, because those relationships are the most important thing we have. And the third thing is my ability to serve other people. Mm. It doesn't matter what you take from me. You knock me down over and over again. You take my job. My job's gone right now. You know, you could take my home, my car, all that, but you're not taking away my faith my relationships, and my ability to help other people and serve other people. Those are things that nothing can take away from me. And as long as I hold on to those things, I will always be a free man. That's right. That's good stuff. I mean, it's just a reminder that, you know, so many, and I think we're, you know, you've mentioned several times we're going through this whole virus deal. We're finding out that a lot of times we put our identity in what we do. Um, mm -hmm. We're in athletics, wins and losses. And then we put our identity in, in, you know, chasing success, but it, you know, when all that stuff's gone, you know, we, it's rock bottom. So what kind, of car, is, what kind of car do you drive? What neighborhood do you live in? I mean, yeah, these right. things are important. I mean, I, look, I mean, I get it, but they can't be the most important thing because the most important things have to be something that no one can take away from you, man. That's right. Good stuff. Hey, I know we've uh, covered a, a good bit, um, kind of given a high level overview of your story. I know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty fired up after talking, so I, pre I appreciate the time. Hey, man, I appreciate the opportunity, Stuart. And like I said, I appreciate, I really appreciate you investing the time into reading The Change Agent before we did this. Yeah. Uh, it, it always flows better, man. You know you're coming from a position of authority that you've read the book and you know what questions to probe and ask that your listeners are going to get the most out of. And, and I think that's great. And so you, you impressed me. You took the time to do that. You took the initiative, and, and that's important, man. And, and look. If it wouldn't have been for the coronavirus, we probably wouldn't have had time to do it this early in the year, man, because my schedule was busy, your schedule was busy, but but here we are, man. So we, right. we've we got some gold here, because all we're trying to do is impact one life out there, man, reach through the one person, and I bet we did that today. Amen. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Damon for taking time to, to share his journey, um, again, through 
Um, growing up in a strong family, um, playing college football, successful career, and then falling into addiction to, to drugs and alcohol and, and, and crime and serving time in prison to now God using him across the country with this message of being a coffee bean, spreading positive energy. Damon is just an incredible example of a man of strong faith, believing in serving others first and servant leadership. Talked a lot about servant leadership. And so um, I, I won't recap the entire conversation. Um, I took a lot of notes as always. So the one thing I want you to take from this is that it's, it's identity. Your identity is not what you do. It's, it's who you are. You're a person of faith. You're a person that loves your family, it's your relationships, and, and it's, it's in serving others. So, so thank you for listening to this. I, I hope and pray and encourage you as it did me. And, and I also hope that you'll take this and, and click the share button. Share it with a family member or a friend, someone that needs to hear some encouragement today because I, I know Damon's story will encourage. Um, also, if you're not a subscriber to our podcast, I would ask you, whatever podcast platform you're listening to right now, just click the subscribe button. There's over 120 previous episodes I know will bring encouragement to you, and there's so many more coming. I'm so excited about what God is doing through this podcast and just the stories we're, we're uh, telling these days to to shine Jesus bright to encourage you and in, in others in their walk. Again, thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you through our website, allinsportsoutreach.org, or on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just type in All In Sports Outreach. You can send us a message there, find out who we are, why we do what we do. We'd love to hear from you. Most of all, we covet your support, your encouragement, and your prayers.